0: This is the Power of Genetics podcast, a podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. And now... Let's get into today's episode. A very, very big welcome to a very good friend, a colleague, an inspiration and a mentor of mine, Cathy Swift. I've been waiting to speak with you on the path of genetics for many seasons now. So I am delighted to finally have you speaking to all of us. Welcome, Cathy.
1: Thank you so much. And it is my pleasure to be here with you. So Kathy, you have been,
0: you know, such a leader in the world of dietetics. I think not just for me, but for so many others in my world. And I thought it would just be great if we could start by talking a little bit about we both are these and, you know, Mm -hmm. we both kind of probably had a similar start. But if you could tell us a little bit about what this journey was for you in nutrition that kind of landed up almost, dare I say, kind of owning and leading this functional nutrition phase. So if you don't mind, if we could just go back a little
1: bit to see where that transition happened for you. Okay, a nice place to start. And thinking about this and looking back, I would say my transitional journey began in the 1980s. My on-ramp, I'll call it, like others who really discovered functional integrative medicine, was actually born out of a health crisis when I was living in the UK. And I'll tell you, I had some wonderful military physicians who were very investigative, but they were really stumped by my clinical presentation and many abnormal lab findings, everything from low natural killer cell to you name it. So they wanted to send me back to the States for a more thorough workup. But that's when I decided to take matters in my own hands. And I asked the question, not what do I have, but why the heck am I in this state of extreme fatigue, joint and muscle pain, gut problems, sleep disruptions, which I never had brain fog and more. Sounds like, you know, this complex mystery illness. So what I did, yeah, I started exploring every alternative therapy available in the little village I lived in. I did everything from healing touch to other things. And but fortunately, I came across a group of nutritional medicine practitioners in the UK who were following the work of Dr. Jeffrey Bland and others So that's really, I would say, when my education in functional medicine began. And over time, I slowly began to uncover the mysteries of my illness. And today, I think about this, and I think about a heuristic that we at IFN Academy teach our students, and that's STAIN, S-T-A-I-N. And in my case, the S, stress, the stress with the move overseas, but also the T, toxins. I was living in a home that had mold. The A in stain, adverse food reactions, I uncovered a really significant severe sensitivity to gluten. The I, infection, right before I left for the UK, I had a serious foodborne illness, so a gut infection. And it after that never put two and two together again. It took me a while. And then the N nutritional, of course, and the stain heuristic, I uncovered through having requested a serum methylmalonic acid that I was B12 deficient. So it was the perfect storm. And you know, as the saying goes, out of crisis lies opportunity. And it was then and there. And again, it didn't happen overnight, but this led me to taking a much deeper dive into studying nutritional medicine. It wasn't until the 1990s, I think 91 or more that they, you know, codified it as functional medicine and, you know, really had to think through what, having a graduate degree in nutrition, what did I miss? And I missed a lot. So that was really The beginning of my journey, and it inspired me when I regained my health. And I later was nutrition director at Canyon Ranch Health Resorts to really push the envelope there. And this was a pretty cutting edge institution, but even there, I got a lot of pushback, but I was patient. And I brought in other thought leaders like Dr. Leo Gallen, Dr. Bland. Um, Dr. Sidney Baker, some of these fathers of functional medicine Mm -hmm. and, you know, really little by little, it gained traction. That's amazingly early. I mean, the 1980s to start
0: on that journey. And as I was thinking, I was like, you were talking about the fact that when you started in the space, it was kind of nutritional medicine. And then later we saw the evolution into functional medicine. And when I started my journey, which was only in the I was so long after you in the early 2000s, it was really functional medicine with Jeff Bland. And at the time, there was no functional nutrition. So I'm interested to understand, and maybe you can help me because I've never, how we landed up going, because it was very much that functional medicine was functional medicine and there was nutrition within functional medicine. But then all of a sudden, we saw this wonderful new field of functional nutrition come out, can you talk a little bit about when that happened, how it happened, why it happened? Because I think more than anyone, you probably were driving this journey, but it it was that it was always there, this concept of functional nutrition.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, I think there's always been. And again, if we think about the origins, nutritional medicine, I think there's always been this inter you know, connectedness, like we're, you know, we're relatives, so to speak, in the same family, I can share with you that within the dietetic community, going, believe it or not, way back when there was a group of very early adopters that at the time, it was nutrition and complementary care, a dietetic practice group, right within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Yeah. Ruth and I were members of that. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So they were pushing the envelope. And then there was, and this is just my opinion, humble opinion. I think there was a stalling of the progress of these very, you know, bright innovators and such. And I think that's when I, you know, again, was back in the States and got more involved. And one of the, I think the shifts was we renamed ourselves the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine. An interesting story here, y'all, that probably many people aren't aware. I actually put the proposal forward to the Academy of this name change, because I I think I was the chair of the group at the time, or maybe the co-chair. Anyhow, the response I got from the Academy of Nutrition was that you can't use the word medicine in a practice group. So I did some investigative work and I thought, well, that's interesting. There's already a practice group, another one with the name medicine in it. So anyhow, (laughs) uh, they accepted our new name and there was opposition to that by some, but I do think that was a springboard for us really beginning to coalesce and make progress. We later published standards of practice. And this was the efforts of many, 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 you know, wonderful colleagues and such. And today, the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, which of course, you know, our philosophy is nutrition centric, but the name really did, it held a lot of weight you know, after the standards of practice, we even published some papers. I'll, I can talk about that after with regard to education. But I think now we, the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine practice group is the second largest practice group within the academy. That's right. And I think the cost it's growing, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I mean, there's, yes, one well of the 5,000 members, I think. Something like that.
1: Yes, it took a little drop during, well, <laughs> the pandemic, but you know, gaining steam again, so to speak. So that was some of the history there.
0: Yeah, that doesn't has played such a fundamental role in creating a space for this type of nutrition. So let's fast forward to now, 2022, and you know, ask the question, and it's a tough question: is you know, how would you describe the state of nutrition today? Because the one thing I've always admired about you, Cathy, is the incredible ability, which I'm not sure that I have, to keep a foot in the kind of more traditional healthcare world to drive them forward, but also be pushing the boundaries of nutrition always. I mean, you're always pushing the boundaries. And I think it's quite a unique quality of yours to be able to hold the space in both places. So I think you're the... Perfect person to ask a question. You know, how would you describe the state of nutrition today? Like, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I think it probably is a bit of everything.
1: Okay. The state of nutrition today. Now, that's a loaded question. I would describe our scientific nutrition ecosystem as it's continually evolving, it's complex, certainly with controversy. And also can be markedly confusing. You know, although food and nutrition has been studied for centuries, right? We go back to Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, Hippocratic medicine, modern nutritional science is still quite young. You know, with the, right, we, what, vitamin discoveries in the first half of the 20th century. And there's some really interesting papers that I appreciate that have been published on the state of nutrition, but looking at our history because, right, it's been said we have to know the past to understand the present. And one of them that was published in um, British Medical Journal, it provided a timeline of nutrition research. And the present is with great complexities, right? We've got things like the diet microbiome host interactions that are being explored, the gut-brain connection, the focus more on dietary patterns and food composition, certainly genetic influences on dietary interactions. And then, you know, from a planetary perspective, as far as nutrition is concerned, the health effects of the shifts in agriculture and food processing. So, wow, it's a lot. The state of nutrition is dynamic, continually evolving, complex, and we have to embrace it and be able to somehow translate this. And that's one of the reasons, you know, there's also some confusion. You know, I read an essay by Tim Spector from the UK and Christopher Gardner from Stanford and they pointed out in this essay on nutrition that no other scientific field is so influenced by social media experts as nutrition scientists. Wow. Yeah, it was really good. I, I enjoyed it. And I'm guessing any discipline might also feel that way. But when you think about it, yeah, you know, food is a part of our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And then with technology, there's definitely this heightened interest in awareness of nutrition, right, by consumers as compared to previous decades. But there's also this glut of excess information. Yeah. And I think with that, I know in my lifetime from, you know, being in this field, I don't think there's any other time that there it comes with both challenges and opportunities. And Just to share a a little side story, you know, there's a section on my patient questionnaire uh, that asks my clients about their challenges around nutrition. And the number one response that heads the list is, quote, confused about nutrition. So then in the narrative section, you know, they'll often list what they're confused about. Is it, Keto, is it vegan? Is it histamine? And then beyond diet, you bring the topic of dietary supplements and, and it can muddy the water even more. And then, of course, practitioners respectfully have varying interpretations of the research and opinions about what diet therapy is best, you know, whether a food should be included or avoided and such. So, you know, just yesterday a patient said to me, well, the gastroenterologist book, Kathy said sweet potatoes are okay for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Well, the naturopath's website said no sweet potatoes. So what is it? And I think when you pose that question, what certainly comes to mind is this is where personalized nutrition therapy in the hands of skilled functional nutritionists who, you know, are aware of this holistic approach and is able to engage patients as co-investigators in their care process is really important. I don't know if that answered the question, but I that's what comes to mind when I think about the state of nutrition today and the state of being a clinician in this area. Yeah, I mean,
0: I've always thought that nutrition was the hardest profession. I always thought I could have chosen a much easier one. Uh, it's like being a pharmacist <laughs> yeah. or something like that but i do think that nutrition as as a field of science is one of the most complex a because it's so much part of every single day and because of the kind of complex socio-psycho demographic environment planetary environment exactly as you described it and i totally agree i think the one shift i've seen in the 30 plus years is that is the ownership of nutrition so it used to be quite simple in that kind of Almost mm-hmm. that dietitians own nutrition and some doctors would kind of give advice on nutrition. But the shift has been to the consumer. And, you know, yes. because they can Google, because of Instagram, because of, you know, the kind of books have been written, the vigil has become the kind of expert on nutrition, which it's been extremely difficult for nutrition professionals to kind of manage and navigate. And I think. It'll be interesting to see how they play out. And we love our clients taking personal responsibility for the health. Yes, they're inner nutritionists. They're inner nutritionists, but it does need the guidance because I think I wrote an article quite some time ago called Nutrition Confusion, which is exactly <laughs> as you describe it, is that we actually don't return. And I don't think it's only our the consumer that is battling with that confusion. I think it's practitioners as well. I think it's all of us. That's, you know, it's a difficult, difficult science. And we know we've been through the margarine butter. We know we've been through the eggs cholesterol, So we know, I think we've all been humbled to understand that there is no absolute truth that is known about nutrition, that it's a constant
1: journey of kind of learning and change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're bringing to mind, I don't know the exact publication, but it was the American Society of Nutrition. It was published in what the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, they published a paper to the effect of basically, how do we regain public trust in nutrition science? And I remember reading, it's a very good one, but anyhow, it's this whole just uh, state of the science that we're all currently dealing with. So, you know, but some opportunities arise out of that. Yeah. I mean, we've also living
0: through the most exciting progression. I mean, for us, having started off as traditional RDs and having seen the evolution of nutrition, it's also, I think the one thing that it has done is I always think, you know, the, the idea of nutrition is medicine. And I know that this was your faith, food is medicine, that we have seen that happen in our lifetime, that where we've gone from, kind of nutrition as a support to being nutrition as a healer and I think that's one of the most if I have to put that in the good column like one of the most exciting things we're seeing is we've now and from my side obviously we now know how nutrition impacts gene expression and switching on and off genes which for me was closing the loop on how nutrition truly heals the body it doesn't just kind of plug holes of, of nutrient deficiencies which is where we kind of began
1: Yes, yes, beautiful. And, you know, witnessing this food as medicine, food is medicine movement, it's amazing how many programs there are today. And, you know, I'm going to give a kudos to the Center for Mind Body Medicine because it was well over 20 years ago that we started the food as medicine healthcare professional training program. And one of my mentors, Dr. Susan Lord, who just, you know, always embraced this concept in her practice. She and I started, you know, this program and it's great to see that there are so many other food as medicine programs today. In fact, we just finished what we called a Food is Medicine for Everyone program. It's an online virtual program with a health system, Eskenazi Health in Indiana. And it's really bringing it to, you know, underserved populations. And so there's so many. That's wonderful. She said great things that have come out of this heightened interest in nutrition. So maybe let's just move forward. So I'm
0: kind of, there's two questions I have, I'd like really burning desire to ask you. So one is, you know, you have a educational, you've built an educational institution, the have academy, and there's a reason that you did that. So let's just touch base on where education for nutrition sits at the moment and why there was a need to build a whole kind of academy ready educating practitioners, and in in your case, mostly nutritionists, on this next kind of journey of nutrition. What, What was missing for us?
1: Okay, well, what was missing, and I would say still missing in at least conventional dietetics education Really, I'll just give you even one quick example. Every student that I precepted, juniors in college, I asked them a question Have you had a genetics course? And it's always no. Always no. Your senior year, this is not a nice to know, this is a must know. So, our education. You know curriculum, and I've had many discussions with different folks. You know about this. As you know, it takes time to change curriculum, but my colleagues and I, Mary Beth Augustine, brilliant dietitian nutritionist, um, was the primary author. But we published a paper back in it was 2015, and it was uh, we titled it Integrative Medicine, and it was about. The gaps in our education, right? And we explored this and certainly found that there were major gaps. And we concluded with really, I think it was called integrated medicine education, perceived knowledge, attitudes, and practices among academy and nutrition and dietetics members and it was published in the journal the academy of nutrition and dietetics and we used integrated medicine as the umbrella term right to describe uh you know complementary alternative functional holistic lifestyle right yeah. and but we concluded with recommendations to increase a the evidence that already exists and then also the need to identify best practices and advancements moving forward In this and previous experiences I had over decades was really the impetus to create and launch a formal online training program in integrative and functional nutrition. And which IFN Academy or IFNA for short. And that's what, you know, my colleague and business partner, Dr. Sheila Dean and I did that same year. So we're headed into well we're in our seventh year headed there and it is a foundational course of course in integrative and functional nutrition and there is a great need now i also help develop a curriculum within the academy of nutrition and dietetics on integrative and functional medicine but it's really a a primer it's it's you know brief and short but it does inspire and i'm really really glad that we have that but because it does inspire dietitians to further explore this i think really our up and coming generation of dietitian nutritionists know this is the here the now and the future of nutrition practice yeah i mean it's been
0: yeah the same for me i mean here we are you know 20 years on the line looking at Kind of curricula which didn't have genetics in twenty years ago, and now if you get a one-hour lecture somewhere in your whole degree, that's kind of the advancement we've made. So, so it's right. still, it hasn't—it just hasn't been what it should have been. You know, it's been too slow. But we are seeing, certainly at a postgrad level, the inclusion of some new to genomic courses, but super slow. So we rely on organisations like yourself and mine and Susan Allen to really bring new to genomics in to give them the education and it's not just dietetics we're talking about medicine we're talking about chiropractic naturopathy i mean no one has really solved this problem so so Kathy, i'm going to move on to just another question there's so many practitioners who will listen to this podcast not just dietitians but of all different health professional disciplines and you know you've had such an incredible impact on the field of nutrition, pushing it forward, sometimes dragging it forward, and um, inspiring um, so many of us to keep doing what we're doing. So, what would you say to someone who's maybe just come out of their program, just entering practice? Like, what is the best advice you can give them in terms of their journey ahead?
1: Wow, great question. oh What comes to mind first and foremost is. Continue to learn, be that lifelong learner, invest in training, invest in training, have that curious mind, be inquisitive, ask questions. Uh, Secondly, I would definitely encourage anyone listening to, and I'm sure most of your listeners are doing this already, but Make those connections, network, collaborate with your colleagues. It's so important. You know, one example I can give you is our IFN Academy listserv. It is free and open to anyone with an interest in integrative and functional nutrition and medicine. And I have to say, I am awed and amazed by it, the sharing of knowledge, the collegial camaraderie it's also a springboard for practitioners to really coalesce if they have an interest in a particular topic whether it is nutrigenomics uh, whether it's continuous glucose monitors a certain you know functional lab elimination diets or some other topic of interest and so if any listeners want to join this community just send an email to info at ifnacademy.com in the subject line, join the ifna listserv. We'd love to have you. You know, I think the other piece of advice is I guess just wisdom. <laughs> I think it's so important. We are in the healing arts, the healing profession. And we need to take the time each and every day for our own self care. I mentioned the center for mind body medicine which I've worked with for over 20 years and I mentioned food is medicine in every program included mind body practices and experientials. And so whatever it is in your life because you know burnout is especially when we're working with patients who seek functional integrative nutritionist they have often come with what? Great expectations. And some of these patients have been, you know, uh, dealing with a chronic complex disorder for a number of years. And maybe they've listened to every podcast, read every book by, you know, the thought leaders. And they can come with very, very high expectations that you as a clinician can resolve their condition almost immediately with these tools. And most often that is not just the case. As as we know, it requires time, patience, further investigation, and even coordination, you know, of care. So I think the self-care is really especially important. Another thing I want to mention that comes to mind, and I'll use myself as the example here, is It's really challenging. We talked about the complexity of the state of nutrition today. It is very challenging to be, even with our training in integrative and functional nutrition, where we've been taught to kind of set aside the diagnoses. Notice I use diagnoses, not one, because the average person has what, at least six. And where we teach students to critically think, right? Makes sense. But it's hard to be an expert in every condition. I'll give an example, a couple examples. Think about ALS. In that case, yes, we are thinking about, you know, core imbalances, oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction, all of this. But there are experts out there who specialize in folks like Dr. Jay Lombard, the, one of the fathers of functional neurology, Coco Newton, a functional medicine nutritionist specializing in ALS. Some of my colleagues are working with populations with um, Eller Stanlos. They have a great deal of knowledge. Um, so I think that being able to comfortably reach out, refer, I just had a patient last week who I. Read through all the information she sent me, as I always do. I always try to prepare for a consultation at least 24 hours ahead of time. And that day that we met, she said, Oh, Kathy, I need to let you know that I was just diagnosed with lung cancer. And this is, you know, a young woman in her early 40s. And so happy to work with her. But I also, Encouraged her to reach out to Dr. Lise Alshuler of uh, Naturopathic Oncology team. And Dr. Alshuler is also one of our, you know, faculty at IFN Academy. So it's something else to think about. I do encourage dietetic interns that I mentor and other young nutrition professionals to A, yes, get this training in the foundations of integrative and functional nutrition. They get to have these wonderful faculty like you teaching them about nutrigenomics and such. But be consider a specialty area that you you are passionate about and continue to expand your learning in that area because I've learned you know that it, it is hard to be we can't be the expert in every condition. I, I think that's such great advice. And if I just, I think the two
0: things that really resonate, I think, well, three things really. The one is a lifelong learning. The other thing is that's been really powerful for me is find mentors and ask for help. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. seek seek out mentors and reach out to them and ask for help. I've never had anyone say no. And my entire career has really been guided by those who, who were leading. And I kind of reached out to them and, and asked them to guide me. It was extremely powerful. I love the idea of speciality. We, even in nutrigenomics, we say, you know, really dive deep into the area that resonates with you. You know, it's something that you've suffered and experienced. or something in your family or something in your patients. But become the expert because even like myself or Annalie, you know, we're not new to genomic experts of everything. So if you can carve out a space, we will always be referring. You know, we will always be referring. And yes, join the listserv on that. The quality of the questions and the answers is extremely, I mean, it's just amazing. But the culture is also extraordinary. A culture of helping and supporting and um, we call it community of practice, helping each other. Love that. We also have an amazing community in the genomic space, which just is like the pinnacle of my career, seeing like almost 2000 practitioners learning in this space. So I think there is a whole world out there for you to step into. And if I could just add one thing, Kathy, that you didn't mention, which is, you know, step in, step in. It's, you're never going to feel like you know enough ever. Yes. Ever. So just step in, get started ask for help, take time to do the research, ask questions on the list of in the community. But if you hold back until such time as you feel like you know enough, you will never grow forward. You just, it's impossible. So I think that would be the only thing that I would, that would add to that.
1: Oh, beautifully, beautifully stated. I love it. Grow forward.
0: Right. So Kathy, we we have taken up a huge amount of time. We're going to do what we always do, which is we're going to finish off the podcast with the question that actually defines the podcast name, which is the power of genetics. And um, you and I have been working together for some time in the space of genetics using our tests. And now you're alive. And you've been such an amazing fan and support and really supported all the work we've been doing over the last couple of years. So I really ask this, knowing that you understand it, what is Which is, you know, how do you see the power of genetics in terms of the way that you work and the patients that you work with and and moving forward to the future?
1: Oh, yes. I am a huge fan of of 3x4. And, you know, I really, really, the education that I get from your your group is just, I savor it. (laughs) I, I savor it. You know, yeah, the one-size-fits-all model just doesn't obviously take into account the genetically determined individual variability, right, in this. And precision, personalized nutrition is the here, the now, and the future. And for me, having genetic information is extremely valuable to my clinical decision-making. It helps me prioritize nutrition care plans you know of course I'm going to consider the patient's story their clinical presentation but um, very very powerful to have that genetic data on board and for my patients what I found is genetic data is it's personally meaningful and it's very motivating I can't tell you how many patients it has shifted even with my, you know, encouragement in this prior, but once they get those results, they shift from maybe some are in neutral or some are in drive, but not that excited about, you know, diet and lifestyle change. We review those results and they are shifted into okay. taking wise and reasonable action, you know. Just the other day I was working with, and I could give so many examples, but I I know our time is limited, but I am thinking about a patient the other day, 40 years old, and she shared with me that she and her husband want to conceive. And she was asking me about preconception diet. And certainly, you know, we had a discussion, but I discussed the power of having genetic data on board and it really excited her. And explained to her that it would help me personalize her nutrition therapy. Yeah. So I found it invaluable in practice.
0: Oh, I love that, and and thanks, Kathy, for that. We love working with you as well, and um, pretty sure we'll be working together for a very, very long time. Well, I certainly hope so.
1: <laughs> I would not say this if I didn't mean it. I've had enough, you know, years of experience using and the test that I find it extremely valuable. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, that's a great way
0: to finish today. And I think it's been, you know, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think it's so lovely sometimes to just step back and look at where we've come with nutrition, where we're going, the changes. I've learned a whole lot of things from you today that I didn't know, kind of in the history of of DIFM and the evolution of functional nutrition. And yeah, just wanting to thank you, Kathy, for your incredible work that you continue to do, as I said, like leading us forward in a space um, in the most gentle and humble way that you do. And hopefully we will continue for the next decade and really shift nutrition forward continuously. So thank you so much for joining me today and looking forward to the next few years where we continue to work, work together.
1: I am too. And thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com apply.